Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the pleasure to talk with Dr. Joshua Colvin. Dr. Coleman is a psychologist in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area and a senior fellow with the Council on Contemporary Families. He has written for the New York Times, The Atlantic, NBC Think, The Behavioral Scientist, CNN, Market Watch, The San Francisco Chronicle, Greater Good Magazine, AEON, Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and more. He is the author of numerous peer review articles and chapters and has written four books, most recently, the Rules of Estrangement, Why Adult Children Cut Ties, and How to Heal the Conflict. Today, we talk about the work he does with helping estranged parents and families. Welcome, Dr. Coleman. Thanks for having me. You have a very interesting niche in your therapy, the work that you do in therapy, and you have a book um, that is called Rules of Estrangement. That's correct. The subtitle, Why Adult Children Cut Ties and How to Heal the Conflict. Okay, so maybe we should start at at kind of how you got interested in this topic in the first place, because it's very specific. It's very specific. Yeah, well, I was married and divorced in my 20s and now have an adult daughter who I'm very close to. But there was a period of time after I had gotten remarried and had children from my second marriage that my daughter cut off contact for a few years, which was very, very painful. She did it in her early 20s. And the time there was nothing written. I was in therapy. The advice I got was terrible. It just made matters worse as it can in this, in this realm. So I was eventually able to reestablish contact with her and heal the, the distance between us. But I realized that there was really a big need for this and that there wasn't really any information out there. So that was 15 years ago. I wrote my first book on the topic called When Parents Hurt. And then as a result of that, I got a wide following of estranged parents here in other countries. So I developed a webinar series that I've been doing for the past 12 years, uh, free Q&A for estranged parents. And a couple of years ago, I did a survey of 1,600 estranged parents to the University of Wisconsin Survey Center, which has now been published in several peer-reviewed articles. And so all of that was kind of a ramp up to my second book, which is the one you mentioned, Rules of Estrangement. I know every case is so different, but I'm wondering, are, and I'm sure there are, but in terms of thinking about themes that come up with estranged parents, what, what are typical themes that maybe would bring someone into therapy for this? Yeah, typically as a clinician, it's more often the parent that's coming in for help with strategies. The research when the adult child comes in who's estranged, it's more for support around the estrangement, whereas parents want They want to know, how can I solve this? How can I address this? And there's a number of different pathways to estrangement. The common stereotype is that it only happens if the parent was abusive or neglectful. And that's why it's hard for parents to talk about it, because they feel like people are going to say, well, you must have done something really terrible for your own child to turn against you. And and in fact, sometimes that is indeed the case, but not always. In my survey, something like 70% of the parents who were estranged had gone through a divorce, and divorce can cause estrangement in a number of different ways. It can cause one parent to poison the child against the other parent, as we see in parental alienation. It can cause the child independently of the parent's behavior post-divorce to choose one parent over the other, blame the parent 
whether to divorce or ally with one parent against the other. It can bring in new people that the child has to ally with or fight against, stepchildren, you know, step-siblings and the like, new stepmothers, stepfathers, et cetera. And finally, in a highly individualistic culture like ours, it can cause the child to see the parents more as individuals with their own kind of assets and liabilities and less as a family unit that they're a part of. So divorce, I think, is huge. Another is when the adult child marries. That can be a flashpoint because the new spouse may not like the parents. They may say, choose them or me. Mental illness in the parents, certainly, but also mental illness in the child can, can be can be a cause or addictive issues. And sometimes it's just that the adult child doesn't know any other way to feel separate from the parent, particularly in the way that parenting has evolved over the past three or four decades, where we become much more anxious and involved and intrusive and surveilling. So some adult children just cut off the parent because they just don't know any other way to hear their own voice and feel separate. So I'd say those are the major pathways. Interesting. And in the last case, it's almost as if the parent might say, what happened? There wasn't a clear event that occurred that created that. That's right. Yeah. And often the adult child may create one or they'll amplify some childhood lack of attunement or some other kind of event and call it a trauma. And unfortunately, in in our field, you know, psychotherapy, it's not hard to find a therapist who will want to link everything to a, a prior trauma, which legitimizes the estrangement. But you're right. And for those parents who are particularly dedicated and involved, they can feel like, well, I gave my child everything. So why is this happening? And sometimes that's actually the problem. Right. So it seems complex because there are so many different ways to get there. Absolutely. Right. And I'm sure the treatment pathway is different depending on how the estrangement originated. That's right. One of my biggest strategies with parents, um, since they're more typically my client, is to have them write a letter of amends where they just empathize with the child. They take responsibility. They don't defend. They don't explain. They don't blame. They really, the goal is to get on the same page is the adult child, to assume that they have good reasons for doing that, even if they don't really understand it. So I'll often tell parents to start the letter by saying, I know you wouldn't do this unless it was the healthiest thing for you to do. Now, from the parent's perspective, it probably isn't the healthiest thing for them to do. But for the adult child, it is the healthiest thing for them to do, if not the only thing for them to do. So part of the goal, kind of regardless of how the adult child got there, is to just start by trying to get on some kind of similar rules of engagement rather than getting into defensiveness and explanation and anger, because that just shuts down the conversation. Right. So in a way, if a parent comes to you wanting to basically repair their, or maybe repair is not the right word, reinvent (laughs) maybe their relationship, their estranged child, part of what is needed is humility almost on the parent's side. That's so right. And, you know, I'm forever telling parents it's about humility, not humiliation, because often parents, dads in particular, moms less so, but can feel like, well, I'm not, you know, they can apologize to me or I was a great parent or that, you know, you want to see a bad parent. I had a bad parent. I was, you know, so, but humility is really exactly what it's about. And my perspective is that, you know, we're parents forever until our children die. In fact, Long after we die, we're still parents, which is why I don't encourage parents to cut their children out of their wills, even if they feel very hurt or rejected by their adult child. So you're absolutely right that humility is really the key ingredient because that can propel a good productive conversation and it can cause the adult child to feel cared about and like the like the parents really interested 
in healing the relationship. But it also brings to mind that the other thing that older generations don't understand is how much the moral framework has changed. This was a, a subject of an article I wrote for The Atlantic, that the old days of honor thy mother and my father, respect thy elders, has really given way to a much more personal psychological identity, self-growth, mental health advancing perspective of adulthood. And so parents have to kind of get with that narrative if they want a relationship with their child. They can't insist on obligation or duty. They can't guilt trip their children. They can't say how much the child owes them. They have to put the context of the relationship in a context of growth and happiness and preservation of mental health. What happens if the parent doesn't actually understand or agree with the path that their child is taking? That must be incredibly difficult to be supportive of that. It is. It's very common. And I sometimes see that with parents who have children who are undergoing a gender transition, you know, boy to girl, girl to boy. And they'll say, well, I'm not going to enable that, or I'm not going to, particularly as an adult child or a late adolescent. And my advice is, do you want your relationship with your child or not? Your years of parenting are over. And obviously I'm empathic to any parent who has to undergo that if they have very, you know, a lot of worries about it. There's a lot of debate about, you know, the whole topic. But but if the topic is estrangement, if an adult child is saying, either you call me by the name that I want to be called by, or you recognize my gender identity in the way that I want it to be recognized, I can't speak to you, then there's nothing to gain from the parent by not honoring the, the adult child's perspective about how to live their life. But you're absolutely right that sometimes it's very hard for parents to embrace the child's narrative. Often it's around their version of childhood, because it's not uncommon today for adult children to now look back on their childhood and say, well, you traumatized me, you hurt me, you abused me, you neglected me. And the parents are just completely confused by that because they feel like, and even objectively, they look like good parents. But again, it's critical that the parents don't get into explaining or defending, but really to be interested, to be what I call a co-investigator, to say, well, what, tell me more about those memories. Or, Or even better, it's clear that I have significant blind spots that I didn't know that you felt that that was hurtful to you. I'm really sorry. In the future, will you let me know? So again, you're putting it in the context of healing and growth and mental health, as opposed to defense and the right and wrong, which, you know, never goes anywhere. And I also, it makes me think about, as a parent, this idea that letting go of your expectations of what being a parent of an adult will look like, right? And so I bet there's a lot of conflict that comes up when parents are like, but this is not what I envision for my now adult child, right? And having to then shift that or grieve the loss of that idea of what their life was going to look like. Right. Their life for their child, whether it's career or sexuality or gender identity or politics or who they marry, but also their life with the child, how close they wanted to be. I mean, survey that was done at the University of Virginia a few years ago, about a decade ago, showed that parents today who are raising children want and expect to be best friends with their children over the life course. And that's great for those parents who can get it. But a lot of adult children don't necessarily want to be besties with their with their parent. And they want more distance and they want to be in control of how much time they have. And you're right, parents do have to grieve that and accept it and come to terms with it because nothing compels an adult child to be in relationship with a parent today beyond whether or not that adult child wants to. So those parents who don't accept the adult child's terms probably aren't going to have a relationship with their child, or they're going to have one that's filled with conflict. 
I also wonder, it, it goes the other way too, right? And thinking about cases where there's a divorce, right? It is not the parent that's asking for the child to change or accept. We need the adult child to accept the parent and the change that they decided on. That's true. Yeah. Which which is not always um, easy to get, particularly since identity is so much constituted around, you know, choice these days and boundaries and identity. And so the idea that an adult child should accept the parent's decision or choices there isn't as much kind of cultural support of that as there is around the idea of the adult child getting to make these calls themselves. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about also, there's always this process, right? There's a grief of a loss of a view of what life was going to look like, right? What a family unit was going to look like, what your adult child's life is going to look like, what as an adult child, what your parent parental unit will look like. And I also could imagine that part of this is just time Mm -hmm. kind of learning to accept learning to kind of understand what the new normal is and finding some joy in that. Yeah. Acceptance you know, is really key, and particularly from the parent to the to the adult child, kind of accepting who your child is and your really limited ability to influence them. I mean, I often hear parents saying, well, I need to show them X, Y, or Z. It's kind of like, you know, those, that ship has sailed. You know, by the time your kid is an adult, I mean, you're not going to be able to show much of anything. You can model being a good person and a caring person and the like, but you're not going to really be able to, you just don't have the same kind of authority to negatively influence them. And you're going to create a lot of unhappiness, not only for them, but for yourself. So accepting, often radically accepting who your child is and your relationship to them and your limitations in terms of your authority are really key to one's own mental health. Right. Can you talk more about radical acceptance? Because maybe the listener, I, I love that term. And I think it actually sums up a bit of the work that you try to do with with your clients. Yeah, it's probably the my, my most common piece of advice because, you know, I can't help every parent. I mean, I was lucky in my case that my daughter was able to open the door to me. And I mean, I'm a psychologist. I have good communication skills. So my, I kind of know what to do. But, you know, there's plenty of people in my practice, parents who are decent, hardworking, loving parents who deserve for their adult child to open the door to them. And the adult child just can't or isn't ready to because of all the reasons I've mentioned. They're either too hurt from the past or their own mental illness or who they're married to or the effects of divorce. So sometimes we can't actually change the things of the people that we want to change the most. And, you know, there's a saying, I think it comes from mindfulness, that pain plus struggle equals suffering. So the idea when you're going through an estrangement, it is painful. You're going to see a grandmother pushing her grandchild down the street and feel pain. You're going to have a memory of better times in the holidays and feel pain. You're going to pass by your child's picture in the hallway and feel pain. And there's nothing that I can do, you know, or you can do or anybody can necessarily do to prevent that pain from happening. But it's all the things that we do to counter the pain that actually make it worse. You know, it's the catastrophizing, it's the shaming, it's the guilt trip. It's sort of the other saying that I like that's related to this, which apparently is attributed to Latsu, although it's that's contested. But anxiety is living in the future. Depression is living in the past and joy and resilience come in the present. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. For living in the past, that's regret, that's shame, that's guilt, that's sorrow. For living in the future, that's future tripping, catastrophizing, fear, et cetera. And the present is, yes, I do feel sad or I do feel terrible or I do any of those feelings. But the research on that is that 
the more we can turn toward the feeling and kind of allow it to happen. There's research on that shows that the pain will not last as long and it also isn't nearly as intense. So there's a great saying from Marshall Linehan, the founder of dialectical behavior therapy, where she says the pathway out of hell is through misery. The more you fight your misery, the more you stay in hell. So the idea of turning toward the feeling, radically accepting it, saying it is what it is. There's nothing else I can do right now to change this. I'm going to just focus on, allow these feelings to come and then pass, focus on what else is good in my life is really key and much harder for moms than for dads. A lot of dads are better at externalizing, better at getting mad, better at saying, screw that kid, you know, whereas moms feel like, well, there must be something else I can do. What kind of a mother am I if I'm not continuing to try to problem solve this? And maybe I'm being a bad person to not be thinking about my kid all the time. And, and no, it's actually not a useful way to conduct one's life. Hmm. So as I was listening to you, because I, I, I'm sure you've dealt with hundreds, if not maybe thousands, thousands of cases. Does it ever get to a point where a parent might say, I just give up, it's too hard? Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I not uncommonly, if it's a parent, I mean, I tell parents you should give up for at least a year if you're getting, you know, having restraining orders sent out or every time you contact your child, they get furious about your contacting them or you get your gifts sent, returned to sender, et cetera, or your child has gone so completely underground. It just means things are way too inflamed. I mean, to your earlier point, time sometimes can heal all. It doesn't always, but sometimes it can. And so sometimes just giving the adult child time and patience to feel separate from you and do whatever they need to do, which may not have that much even to do with the parent, can be very therapeutic. And it can also help the parent to feel like, okay, I don't, I'm not being a bad parent or a bad person to stop trying. No, sometimes it really makes sense to not keep trying. Right. And then your work is just kind of learning to accept that. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the radical acceptance that there are only so many tools in the tool chest one has to, to reconcile. And people will often ask me, well, how successful are you? And I say, I'm super successful. I can get both people to the table, but I can get the parent to the table typically, but the adult child is typically not nearly as, I mean, sometimes adult children will either contact me because they want to reconcile or they'll respond to me reaching out to them if I'm working with a parent but often they won't, or they're happy being estranged. And so they're not interested in, in reconciling. So, so yeah, acceptance is really key. So that is actually something I wanted to ask. So you do at some point try to bring in both parties. Well, ideally, that's my, my absolute goal is to do that because then I can really facilitate a dialogue. I can help the parent see how the, the subtle or overt ways that they're communicating is alienating the child. I can help the adult child advocate for themselves in a way that's less alienating or rejecting sounding of the parent. But I always coach the parent ahead of time. I, I say, this isn't marriage therapy. You know, if the kid's been estranged and they're coming through willing to do reconciliation therapy, I say, it's more like you're in a marriage and you're divorced and your partner's willing to give you a second chance. Basic game theory, they have the power. So it's not going to be in the quality of goals and the narrative and, and the like. It's really more about helping your adult child feel like you're interested in what they their perspective is and that you're willing to change and respect their boundaries and take responsibility and show empathy. And if you do all those, then hopefully there's more room for you to talk about your experience. Or I can talk about the feedback loops that the way that your adult child may be creating some of the worst behaviors in you that, that they want to and your feedback loops as the parent. But it's not marriage therapy. It's not like you get to each come in with an equal claim on the future. Right. 
Well, this was fascinating. It's such an interesting niche in terms of the work that you do. And I, I mean, I can imagine it's you've been incredibly helpful to many families. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's very, it is very meaningful. Meaningful work is kind of a, never thought that I'd have a mission, but it's definitely become a mission. So, yeah. Right. Well, before we say goodbye, and I'll make sure I have all your information on the podcast description, just kind of last words or something that we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure the listener hears. No, I mean, I'm thinking and writing a lot about these days about the role of therapy, but we kind of covered it probably enough to sort of the destructive role of, of therapy when therapists advocate for estrangement or support estrangements around parents who are probably more workable, but. Well, actually, maybe let's talk about that, right? So just in the few minutes that we have, that's actually a really good, good topic to bring up. It's this idea of at what point is actually therapy maladaptive or destructive? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, therapy can be maladaptive and destructive. You know, as therapists, we become the new high priests. It used to be, you know, religion was sort of the guidance of a moral life. And now with mental health and personal happiness and growth, really seizing the moral framework of how we conduct our lives, therapists are really the high priest saying who you should keep in and who you should keep out of your life, waving the holy DSM to sort of... And there's a, we have enormous authority as therapists to say, oh, well, your parents are narcissists, they're a borderline, they're a sociopath, they're gaslighting you. And our clients can carry that back to the family. And my problem with that is, first of all, I think it is problematic. I mean, we all do it. I do it, certainly. Whether I voice it or not, we're all probably prone to diagnose people who aren't in the room. But it is fraught, right? We don't actually know. I mean, every... I mean, certainly I work with both couples and individuals and families, and, you know, we probably all had the experience of having a particular perspective on our individual client. Then you see the couple, you were like, realize that they're actually much far more to at fault for the dynamic than, than, you know, they may have been able to represent. So it is fraught to diagnose somebody who's not in the room, but it's especially fraught to reinforce or recommend estrangements for somebody that you've never met because the consequences to the parent are so costly. And also estrangement, you know, typically means the fracturing of family in general. It radiates out into other family members with siblings and grandparents and cousins. It's rarely a dyadic event or an event just between the parent or parents and the adult child really fractures things. So it's something that has to be thought about very carefully. So for example, now if I'm working with a couple who is divorcing and they have children, I'll say one of the risks is a potential estrangement, just so you know. I mean, I, you know, in my earlier years, I would never do that kind of warning because I'd sort of feel like, well, I don't want to influence them. And I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't divorce. I'm just saying, don't assume that just because you do a good job with post-divorce, that that means you're not potentially going to, in some ways, weaken your relationship with your child. Now, it may strengthen it. There are cases where divorce strengthens relationships. But anyway, there's much more that one could say about this, but I should probably wrap up. Okay. <laughs> well, everyone will have to read your book. They have to, absolutely. <laughs> and your books that will be coming out. Well, I really appreciate you being on. Thank yeah, you so much. for having me. That was a fun yeah. conversation. All right, take care. Bye. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self.
Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe. Mm-hmm.